guys. Thanks for tuning in to the episode of the podcast, Talking Yoga. I'm Joe, and today my guest is Kate Moon. Kate is a local yoga teacher down here with me in Charleston, and Kate is one of the great teachers that I did not know too much about, aside from the social media world, so it was really great to sit down with her and hear more about her background, her journey into yoga, and all the different ways that she shares her love with yoga. Kate also opens up about her rehabilitation from alcohol and how yoga was a part of that process of recovery. It is not easy path to be on, and I know it can be some very dark times, so I thank Kate again for being honest and open about her struggles with drug abuse and really hope that this inspires someone out there who may be listening. We jump in and talk about travel and yoga, and Kate will also be leading a retreat this November called Accept and Release, The Art of Healing Through Self-Discovery that will be in Sedona, Arizona. I know this is going to be a wonderful experience, so if you're interested, I will link all the information in the show notes you can check out. So here is episode number 16 with my new friend, inspiring human being, and yoga teacher, Miss Kate Moon. All right, Kate Moon here I have on the podcast today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming out here, Kate. Yeah. Uh, you just got back on your uh, adventure from South America. You were in Colombia. Yes. Yeah. How huge, was that? Huge adventure. It was a whirlwind. Um but everything that my soul kind of needed at this time in my life, um, it happened really fast. I just kind of was tracking a flight. My friends said that it was really affordable to fly into Cartagena, Colombia. So I tracked a flight and sure enough, the price dropped and I booked and I just said, I'll figure it out along the way. And um, so I spent a week there and the trip was not what I had set it up to be, but in the most beautiful way. Yeah. Um, How so? So I was planning on just spending the full seven days in Cartagena in the walled city. And I had done some research on some touristy kind of excursions, <laughs> you know, taking a boat to this island, taking a mud bath in this volcano, you know, just kind of these big tourist attractions. But on day two, I came to meet a couple girls traveling in my hostel and went out to dinner with them and they said, hey, we're going to the jungle tomorrow. Do you wanna go? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I wanna go to the jungle. So I canceled my reservation at my hostel and put my backpack on and got on the back of a motorcycle and went to the jungle. And it was the most random best decision that could have came to be. And I by no means think that it happened on accident. You know, I think that I crossed paths with these girls on purpose, and um, it was it was really neat. We went to this uh, small mountain town called Minca, Colombia, which is it, if you travel and do some backpacking, like a, it's a well known kind of place t- for backpackers to pass through, and um, really small town. We stayed at a hostel called Casa Loma, and you have to hike up three hundred steps to the top of a mountain with your sacks on your back to get to this hostel. And it is like a treehouse hostel on the top of a mountain. And it just overlooks the entire Sierra Nevada mountains. Wow. And you're just in this jungle. 
And so you have these options of staying in these grass huts with a bed and you've got a mosquito net and you can just open the curtains and see the jungle. Or you can pay, you know, pennies and just stay in a hammock in the trees. It was almost like a little commune. It was filled with people who were either just passing through on their backpacking journey through South America, but it was also filled with people who had been there for months and they were like starting their great American novel. And so just full of like creative energy and people who are soul seeking and it was just a really neat place to find myself and like I said I don't think it was on accident I think I was brought there on purpose so I felt really connected when I was there wow yeah so it's called the Minka Mountain Minka is the name of the town it's the town that's close Mm -hmm. have you ever been around this type of uh environment or anything like it before not really um traveling is new to me so you know, I've never done like one of those big European backpacking summers or anything like that. It just never presented itself in my life before. And so this was the first time I was around people who were like six months, just like, here's how much money I have. And I'm just going to hop flights and meet people and hop on trains and do what I need to do to travel. And so being around people with that mindset was so just like awakening for me and it made me realize how possible that can be in my life I think that because it didn't happen early on and you know I'm in my 30s I just thought that it just wasn't going to happen for me and I didn't know how to plan such a thing you know how do you line up what countries you're going to visit and where you're going to stay and the timeline and the finances of everything and all of that seemed really overwhelming but when i was surrounded with people who made it seem so simple it felt like just a weight was lifted and it was like so possible and right within my grasp so i enjoyed getting that feeling there yeah yeah that's such a cool amazing experience it was on a a whim like that as well on such a whim um when you know the night they asked me to go to dinner with them in Cartagena um the girl I ended up sitting next to at dinner she was traveling from Austin Texas and everyone was ordering beverages and stuff at dinner and she ordered a agua con gas so like seltzer water And everyone else was ordering cocktails, and I looked at her, and I just kind of said, like, oh, do you not drink? And she was like, no. And I was like, yeah, me neither. And then there was, like, silence. And I was like, do you not drink, like, for a reason? And she's like, yeah, I'm I'm part of this program. And I said, oh, my gosh, me too. And so this, like, we established this bond right off the bat. And that's when, like, that gut feeling happened of, like, I was supposed to meet this person on this journey. And so I felt totally just comfortable from the get-go with her. And she's the one that invited me to the jungle. And so it became this really kind of spiritual recovery sort of journey for me um, right by her side, which was really, really cool. Um, It can be weary for me as someone in recovery from drugs and alcohol to travel because it takes me away from my everyday routine and... Um, doing the things I need to do to maintain my sobriety. So um, having someone traveling with me that was in that same boat 
and able to talk to them was really, really a relief as well. So we were able to meditate together every day, um, talk about anything that came up in the way of our sobriety. Um, we practiced yoga together in the mornings. And actually in that town, Minka, I, there was a small yoga hut if you hiked back down the 300 steps mm -hmm. and back into the jungle a little bit. There is a yoga house. It's called um, Casa de Yoga. And believe it or not, it is run by a Russian man. So this Russian man is in the middle of a jungle in Colombia, South America. And think of a thick Russian accent, but he's also fluent in Spanish. And in the Spanish language, when things translate, things are kind of backwards, right? So it was very hard not to laugh when he's instructing yoga. He says, now downward dog facing. <laughs> now take pose of the child. And uh, so... It was, it was really funny, and um, but just such a random cool thing to be able to like take yoga in a hut with a Russian guy in the middle of a jungle. So random. Yeah. Yeah. How was the class? It was good. Um, so on day one, I actually took a class there from an American teacher. He was traveling. He had been traveling for eight months and just teaching all through Central and South America. And so... Um, he is based out of Atlanta. He does um, very well-known. Um, I know that now because I hooked up with him on, on Instagram after my trip, and I'm like, whoa, he's got like 30,000 followers, this guy, you know? Um, but he does acro yoga and vinyasa yoga and all this kind of stuff. So on day one, I took a class with that gentleman, the American teacher, and that was really fun. It was a little bit more of like the vinyasa style that I'm used to and that is popular here in the States. Um, the Russian guy was more, um, very slow. So standing, you know, put one leg out and roll your ankle. Okay. Set that foot back down and now switch sides. And after each small movement like that, you, you pause and you breathe and he says, okay, now observe how you feel. So it was a little bit more spiritual in observing how the movement radiated through our whole body as opposed to like one breath, one movement. So it was it was really neat and it was a little bit more spiritual, but the class was really good. It was very grounding. Mm -hmm. Probably yeah. in that setting too, it probably goes yeah. very nicely. Absolutely. I mean, just the birds are chirping and, you know, you just hear wildlife and you hear trickling water and it's magical. Yeah, magical. there's something special to traveling and taking yourself out of your day-to-day -day environments. Oh, absolutely. It's, especially adding right yoga to it yeah yeah it's just this empowering freedom mm -hmm. you know it just kind of feels it makes everything all the worries all the fears everything that I experience here on a day-to-day -day basis feel so small mm -hmm. you know um I just felt um like like a part of some, something so bigger so much bigger you know like guided by you know, this universe as opposed to just the hustle and bustle of a day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Know? So it was really neat. And speaking of like one of the coolest things of yoga and traveling, I got uh, in November, you're doing your yoga retreat. Yes. This is super exciting. I want to come back to that. Okay. Um, but your yoga practice, you began in um, 2014 here in Charleston. Um, what was going on in your life at the time? Like what brought you? Yeah. So um, I did kind of 
just jump right into that. Um, I am in recovery from drugs and alcohol, and that's what actually brought me to Charleston. Um, I had just got, I'm very open about it, obviously. <laughs> it's just part of my story. Um, I had just gotten out of a 90-day treatment facility, and um, it was in upstate South Carolina, and a lot of people said, you should go to Charleston, you'd really fit in. So having never been to Charleston before, I um, interviewed at a women's transitional halfway house, and they gave me a bed to sleep in and a roof over my head. I arrived in Charleston with a black trash bag full of clothes, um, a guitar, a bicycle, and that was it. And I was dropped off at this halfway house. I was given um, a $5 bill for to kickstart me to get on a bus if I needed to get on a bus. And I was given a curfew, and that was it. And um, I got on food stamps, and I just started making life happen. I, when I ran out of my $5 to get on the bus, I laced up my Nike shoes and I would run 10 miles to get downtown to um, do the things I needed to do to maintain my sobriety and be with the people I needed to be around. So on one of those runs, I happened to be running by a yoga studio and I stopped and looked at a flyer and it said that they were having a free community class like in the next 30 minutes. So I stood outside the doors of this yoga studio and I knew the basics of yoga. My sister had shown me like a couple sun A, sun B sort of thing um, to get me through my rehabilitation time just to kind of get in touch with my body. But this was my first in-studio yoga class and as scary as it was because like I wasn't in like these beautiful matching Lululemon clothes like I was totally just like the oddball it was the greatest experience I mean I remember it like it was yesterday to hear people breathing next to me took me out of my head you know to be concentrating on what was being told from the instructor for my body to do took me out of my head to be able to move my body in a way that I haven't hadn't moved it before broke me open and made me feel grateful and made me feel connected to who I was. Like I had treated my physical body and my spiritual and mental body so poorly for so long. So to feel connected with it for the first time in a long time was a feeling I'll never forget. And I was hooked. That was it. I, um, started taking classes there regularly. Um, I didn't have the money to take classes, so I said like, what can I do? Like, I have to be a part of this community. And they said, you can clean our floors and do our laundry and we'll give you free yoga. So I started helping them at the studio and start, so I did that for a couple years and then the opportunity presented itself for teacher training last year. And um, I made the leap. So it's, um, it's, it's been wild. It's been wild. I never, you know, I knew that yoga was something, something huge for me in that first class, but I didn't know how big it was going to be. So. Yeah. I think we both agree that yoga is something huge. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, just completely life-changing if you allow it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, what were some of the day-to-day things that you were, um, doing in, in Charleston at the time? So, um, early on, let's see. Um, I mean, I was working three jobs when I first got here. Um, so I found a job with a company just like answering phones. And then 
I started um, yoga. Yoga and running really kind of brought me into that physical body. Um, running was kind of my first love, you know, because when I ran out of bus money and I had to run everywhere just to get to and from because I didn't have a car, um, I decided to like sign up for a full marathon. So um, running became a huge part of my life. So I was constantly training and doing that sort of thing. And I found an opportunity to teach part-time at like this indoor cycling studio. So I was doing that and then like working at a cafe. So just doing three jobs and practicing yoga and cleaning yoga studios and, you know, working with others to maintain my sobriety and trying to carry that message. And yeah, that was my life. And I was busy and busy, but full. Like I try, I try and be conscious of using that term. Like, Oh my gosh, my life is so busy. Like, no, my life is full, you know, it's full and it's beautiful because I made it that way today. So it's yeah. such a di different perspective to look at it that way too, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I'm not perfect at flipping my perspective sometimes, but um, I try to. I try to look at things as opposed to like, I have to do this today. It's like, I get to do this today. Mm. Like, I get to be here. I get to go teach yoga, even if it's at 6 a.m. Like, I get to show up for these other people and hold space for them so that maybe they can have the awakening that I had the first time, you know? Right. So, yeah, flipping my perspective um, is an everyday challenge, but that's part of the yoga practice off the mat, right? Yeah. So taking the things that I learn on the mat off the mat as well. And I think you got to take a yoga class at a pretty significant part of your life. Yeah. Like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, those two things that came together, the yogury, yogury, <laughs> the yoga and the recovery portion of my life, they really just clicked together. Um, and, you know, I'm part of a, a, a recovery program where, you know, we work some steps and um, the this, the 12 step program that I work, if you look at the, the ancient yoga wisdoms of the yamas and the niyamas, it directly aligns. Like literally it's kind of the same program. Um, and so that has become a bigger part of my yoga journey. Um, right after I graduated yoga teacher training, uh, here in Charleston, I found the opportunity to take a leadership training program for what is called Y12SR, which is Yoga and 12-Step Recovery. It is founded and led by a woman, Nikki Myers. Um, she is fantastic. Um, she, I believe, is in her 60s uh, from Texas originally, and she is just this hardcore, like, big presence in the room like this is who I am and I'm gonna drop the f-bomb and if you don't like it like so be it and she tells her story so raw and so authentically and the way that she found yoga and her recovery resonates so well with me it's like she's up there telling my story every time she talks and so I traveled to Boston last summer and spent a really quick four-day weekend there getting trained in this yoga and 12-step recovery. So I've brought it back here to Charleston. There are now three of us in our community that have this leadership training and two classes a week in Charleston now that are yoga and 12-step recovery. So wow. that's really, really neat. Um, to be able to offer people who are walking the same path as me in life 
that um, guidance to finding the link between the two is so meaningful and so rewarding to me um, to be able to offer. It's like I'm standing on the other side and I'm looking at women and men, you know, somewhere where I was four years ago. And it's such a healthy reminder of like where I came from on a daily basis and keeping that in the forefront of my mind that if I don't keep doing this work every day, like I could be back there. I could end up going back to that previous lifestyle. So it keeps me very grateful for the recovery and the yoga and the life I have today and to be of service to others and allow them to make those same discoveries is, I mean, that's my purpose. That's what, that's what I'm here for. That so. life kind of works both ways. Yeah. That's a perfect example for that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I want to come back to the recovery. Yes. Um, this and that you brought that up. Um, but I want to start with your background too. Like where were you, where are you from? <laughs> yeah. Because it's not in Charleston. No. So a little bit and then leading up, you know, where were you like physically, physically, mentally, spiritually as well? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Florida. I'm a Florida gal um, on the Gulf Coast in Naples, Florida. And I have um, an older sister who is like my better half. She is my rock. She is my heart and my soul. Um and my dear parents. I lost my mom when I was 15. She was, um, she was actually um, an alcoholic and addict as well. And she struggled with the same things that I have now struggled with in my life. And, you know, I kind of grew up always thinking that, you know, I, I wouldn't allow myself to be that way because I saw how it affected my mom, but that just, it's not the way it works. Um, but I, I lost her when I was 15, which is really what just kind of catapulted this self-destructive behavior and these feelings of not good enough or not lovable and all that kind of stuff, which eventually kind of like, you know, leads us to finding these spiritual healings like yoga. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Florida and, you know, lived there until after college. I went to university in North Florida in Jacksonville Beach which was a really cool school, a few miles from the beach. We could show up in bikini tops and board shorts and no one said anything. Um, but I got my degree in communications and advertising, um, which was a really neat route. I always actually wanted to be a writer. So I started school thinking that I was going to do the journalism route and took an internship at a newspaper and like quickly figured out like I do not want to be um, sitting behind a desk reporting on things I don't necessarily like feel passionate about. Um, but yeah, I had a weekly column in a newspaper, very young and all that kind of stuff, which was really neat. Um, and then I took off to Denver. Um, I graduated college. My older sister who I mentioned is my better half was out in Denver for grad school. So I quickly followed her out there and spent about four years out there and realized as cool as it is, I miss the water. I have to be near the water. I grew up like boating and fishing with my dad my whole life. So, um, and, uh, after Denver, you know, moved back to Florida and that is just where the last couple years, like I was just a tornado, you know, just kind of wrecking my own life and wrecking everyone else's life. And, um, it was really, really destructive. Um, so you would say everything before that, even the time you were in Colorado, you weren't in this um, 
um, stage in your life or in that process? Never. Okay. Yeah. This whole lifestyle of spirituality and health and awareness of self is all so very new to me. Um, you know, it's been about almost four years that it's really been introduced into my life. So um, I feel grateful that it is such a big presence in my life today. Um, but I'm still such, I'm such a student of it, you know, and even, you know, yogis and masterminds, you know, who have been practicing this for 20 years, you know, I think the most important thing is that we're all forever students, you know? Um, but yeah, um, I was never in, in the mindset of, of this before. So four years is a short amount of time, but such huge transformations have happened. So, wow. So yeah. take it to this um, part of your life where you come back to Florida from Colorado. Yeah. And what starts going on? Oh, gosh. It's such, such a dark place. A really, really dark place. I, um, you know, when I was out in Denver, I got a DUI. And thank goodness I didn't hurt myself or hurt anyone else in the process. Um and it just, it wasn't even what I needed to have the wake up call that I needed. I still wasn't there. I moved back to Florida because my parents, my dad, and my stepmom gave me like, Hey, you need to get your stuff together. You know, let's get your life together. Come live with us rent free, get yourself out of debt, get your act together. Well, you tell an alcoholic and an addict that they don't have to pay rent and where does their money go? So... I just catapulted into like nastiness, like a really, really dark place. Um, I had no awareness of self or the way I treated other people. I was a manipulator, a liar. Um, I was completely selfish and self-involved. I was, couldn't hold a job. I was totally unreliable. I put, you know, um, my addictions in front of everything. And I did what I had to do or what I felt I needed to do to get what I needed to get through the day. And, um, you know, the last few weeks of my experience in Florida, I don't remember a whole lot. I don't remember a whole lot. Um, there were days I would um, wake up and my front door would be open and my things would be gone. Um, and I just have no recollection of how I got there. Um, so... You know, my life was very small. My world consisted of my one-bedroom apartment. I would draw the curtains during the day and make it just very dark. And I would just sit there with my alcohol and Grey's Anatomy. And that was my world. Those were my best friends on that TV show. And that was all I did. That was all I did. And I had no concept of the world around me. I thought that everyone was out to get me and I was alone in the world and no one understood me. And so that's where I was in life. Like just at a place where I would have rather died. You know, I didn't see another way out. I didn't know a better way to live and I didn't know how beautiful life could be. And, um, you know, I don't even recall asking for a way out. I was blacked out when I did that as well. Um, and thank God I did. <laughs> thank goodness I did. Um, obviously something inside of me had been ticking and those wheels of motion had been turning and I wasn't even aware of them because to make a call to your father, 
you know, who lived five hours away when you're not even in your right state of mind and say, like, come help me. You know, that's something bigger in my life doing for me what I was literally incapable of doing for myself. And um, so that's where I was. It was it was really, really scary because I looking back now, if I would have waited another week or another two weeks, I might not be here today. I was that low. So that's why you did say it was dark. It was very dark. It was very dark. It was very lonely. And um, it was only a matter of time before something happened. So Yeah, it's it's powerful what substances can do and the power that they can have mm-hmm. um, on our, our bodies and minds. Yeah. Right? It's scary. For, for me, that path started much earlier at an age um, where I was about like 14 or 15 as well. But I think it's just... Part of me thinks it's like our, our culture or like our generation a little mm-hmm. bit too. Do you agree where, you know, where I was going out to make friends? Absolutely. I think a lot of people, they, they go out with that same intention. Absolutely. Something good in that age of 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was a big part of just my denial for a long time was like, oh, I'm in my 20s and like, this is what you do. This is what we do. This is our culture. Everybody does it. This, you know, that's just a way, a way to meet people. Um, and I was in the food and beverage scene, so that didn't help. Um, but. Shout out to food and bev. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people that are drinking in that industry. Yeah, absolutely. Just and for, for relief, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get off so late at night and you just like need a, a couple drinks or a little bit of this to just kind of like calm your nerves and de-stress and unwind and then it turns into you know an everyday thing after work um and so it's a it's a it was a dangerous slope for someone like me you know um it's different for everybody but um definitely yeah it definitely is like part of our culture you know like the drinking and socializing is you know um it's funny, like, as a single woman now, and, like, in the dating world, it's the first thing that people ask me. Hey, you want to go grab a drink? And I'm like, how about a coffee? You know? And then they're like, uh... <laughs> they sense something's not quite, you know, just because it's such the norm. It definitely um, is the norm. So, it's, um... It's been an experience to just navigate life without it. Like, um... You know, I learn every day how to navigate without it, and um, it, it gets easier. So, I can say that. <laughs> For anyone listening that's experiencing troubles, it does get easier. <laughs> yeah, and that's inspirational for people as well listening. Yeah. To hear your side, to hear your story. You know, it's been, it's been really neat because a lot of people who are in recovery are not as open, um, and it's just been... It's just been helpful to me to be open about it in my life. It helps me be more accountable to maintaining it. Um, And I've had a lot of people reach out to me because I've been so open about it, you know, on social media, in my workplace, um, and in social scenes. People who maybe wouldn't have spoken up otherwise have come and reached out to me and said, like, hey, can, can you help me out? This is how I'm being affected, you know, and 
can you show me the way? And thank goodness that I've been open about it because these other, these people maybe wouldn't have known who to talk to or where to go, you know, and I've taken a lot of these people to my yoga and 12 step recovery, you know, to introduce them to both at the same time, because I just think it's so beneficial. You know, it's like you get the yoga, you get the physical movement, you get the conversation surrounding the issue with other people who are experiencing the same things and you get the meditation. It's like, put a bow on it. Like, that's it. That's the package. That's the better way of life right there. So. Yeah, the two work so parallel together. Yeah, yeah, it's really neat. Is it like you were saying before, the eight limbs and the sages kind of, like, feed off of each other? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's basically the program that I live is taking a deeper look at what's going inside on inside of me and working on me so that I can be a better human being for myself and for the world around me, right? So that I can become aware of self and actions and behaviors and admit when I'm wrong right away and like take the action steps to correct it. You know, and when we look at the yamas and the niyamas, it's like, you know, we're practicing ways of maintaining self, ways of kind of controlling, you know, behaviors or, um, you know, and how we show up in the world for other people. It's exactly what it is. Um, so when, when we can draw that parallel, people are like, it's like this huge aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, like the Buddhists and yogis were saying this thousands and thousands of years ago. And like, who knows if the people who came up with this other recovery concept knew that, but like if they did or if they didn't, like just more evidence that like, this is the way to live life. Like here's the tools you need to be the best possible human being you can be while you're here on this earth. And it's that easy. Just follow these steps. (laughs) Yeah. It's not as easy as I think as it seems. It's work. No, it is freaking work. It is work every day. But it's beautiful um, how it's laid out and yeah. everything, right? That it's just, yeah. it's all a practice. Yeah, it's all a practice. Absolutely. That's the best way to put it. I'm not, I'm not perfect at it by any means. Um, and when I mess up and I make a mistake, that's just the learning. That's the learning. That's the growth, right? Yeah. So that's the beautiful part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool talking to a yoga teacher here in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our situation and story was we... You know, Charleston's a pretty um, small city, but kind of big in some ways. And as far as the yoga community, Mm -hmm. um, we had known of each other, like, just through online social media. Yep. And it was, like, one of the cool cases where we got to, like, run into each other in the real world. (laughs) Yeah. And sort of, like, knew of each other. Uh Um, It's an interesting time for, for yoga teachers. And technology as well, right? It is. So we're both doing more than just teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other things that you're doing online? You're blogging yes. a lot. And yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I let it fall to the wayside a little bit. Um, well, first, I, I just want to say to, like, anybody that's a new or new teacher, um, like, out of their yoga training is just, like, looking for what's next or kind of a guide Go to katemoon.yoga.com. Your um, recap of just like your past year um, teaching yoga is great advice and should just should be like required for teachers to read in their first year. 
Um, but yeah, how did you get um, started in doing like your online work? Yeah, um, I'm glad you read that because it, um, yeah, I'm just glad you read it because I do, I do feel like the first year of navigating after teacher training is very, very difficult. In my experience, it was. Um, so to be able to share that with people um, was a good outlet for me. Um, <clears throat> online, my presence, you know, I mentioned that I originally wanted to go to school for journalism. So the blogging thing is kind of how I, I started a website um, and just, again, being open about who I am as a human being and where I want to go and the things I'm experiencing in life um, and, and sharing that with others has given me um, not only a release for myself, but a connection to other people in the online world which has been really neat, um, kind of how you and I came into contact on, you know, social media and just knowing each other in the yoga community or of each other in the yoga community. Um, it's done the same thing. Like it's drawn people to me and drawn me to other people that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise met, which has been really, really neat. Um, and you know, it's funny. I, I recently listened to a podcast, um, and it was um, by Catherine Budig and Jenna Kutcher. I think I mentioned it in one of my blogs. But they were discussing the power of how social media has come into the yoga world and how there's, you know, benefits and drawbacks to it as well. And I found it, um, you guys should look up that podcast. It's hosted by Jenna Kutcher, but just really neat on how it does have that beautiful positivity of connecting us in the yoga world, you know, and coming into contact with others and people's practices because we can post recorded videos of our asana practice and um, draw inspiration from others and hear about other people's experiences. But it also, because it's such a powerful entity, um, it tends to maybe shift the focus away from the teachings we really do have that aren't the beautiful yoga poses that we take pictures of and like what's the meat of it behind why we do teach and who we've who we learned under and um, just kind of the stuff that happens off the mat. So I found that by blogging and sharing other things rather than the beautiful yoga poses um, that that's kind of rounded out people getting to know what I offer and kind of my mission and my voice as a yoga teacher. So, um, yeah, that's it. There, there is like the good and bad behind yeah. everything. Yeah. Always, yeah. always. What is it that when you're posting like a photo of you doing like an inversion, what's the difference of it inspiring someone seeing your practice and you have nice content of, um, words and information behind it. Um, versus look at me doing this pretty pose. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a difference between the two? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I mean, the goal for me ultimately, you know, it's been, it's kind of like I go back and forth with presence on social media. You know, there's days where I feel because Charleston is so condensed with so many great yoga teachers I feel like I'm not doing enough, you know, like, oh, I don't have as many followers and like my pictures aren't professional and all this kind of stuff. And I get caught up with all that stuff that really at the end of the day doesn't matter. Um, and I've learned that on my social media journey, if you will, um, that 
people engage more with me, and this is just my experience, when I write about something that they can relate to, right? When they can see the human come out of me, not when they can... I mean, it's more often that people can relate to my words and my feelings and emotions as a person rather than the pretty inversion I can do because 80% of the human population can't do stuff like that. So then if they're just scrolling through their Instagram feed and they see that, then they maybe, maybe there's feelings of inspiration, like, oh, I'm going to try really hard to do that. But maybe there's feelings of like, there's just another beautiful yoga body on Instagram and woe is me, you know, but if I can make them stop and read and, and, you know, connect with me on a different level, then that's where the interaction happens. You know, that's where the breakthroughs happen. And that's where, you know, you gain people knowing what you have to offer, you know? Right. Does that that make sense? It does. (laughs) I think that's the difference too. Yeah. Rather than not my favorite way is looking looking at a yoga posture and saying like I'll never be able to do that yeah or something but you would want to inspire somebody yeah at least with um the physical forms to at least try right it's not about the the pose yeah yeah and I I mean obviously at the end of the day that's what I hope hope for I hope that people are engaging and um wanting to ultimately you know try that one day. Um, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Right. I came from a place of where I physically couldn't even move my body, you know, where I was trembling on a daily basis from withdrawal to really coming into my body and establishing such a strong connection where I can have that control over my body and its movements today. So if I can do that, journey with my body and my mind than like anyone can and that's what I want people to hear that's what I want people to see and was that healing is the healing yeah it's the healing yeah you you started you brought it up a little bit um with Charleston there's tons of yoga out here yeah for sure um yeah not to down on, on the Charleston yoga scene at all because there's wonderful studios out here um wonderful teachers that when I first started teaching have been like mentors and huge supporters for me. Um, but yeah, the downside is there, do you think there's a lot of um, studios in such a small area and do you think the market is um, saturated? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question because I think it's a double-edged sword, you know, because I want everyone to have yoga, right? I want it to be accessible to everyone Every street, every neighborhood people live in, and the closer it is to their house, the more likely they are to go. Yeah, right? the, the more, more opportunities for someone to just to get to a class. Exactly. It's gonna be the better. Yeah, no excuses. Best. No excuses. I have to drive 15 minutes. Like, no, there's one on my corner. Um, so I think that's great because there's so many cities, towns that don't even have a yoga studio. You know, where my older sister lives. You know, she's out in kind of more the country area and there's no yoga studio for her to go to, you know, so she has to take to, you know, watching online classes, which is beneficial as well. There's that online presence again. Um, But at the same time, it is incredibly saturated and it's difficult to kind of establish your tribe when there are so many talented teachers and 
so many different places to take yoga. It's like, how do you get people to come to your class? You know, how do you, how do you get that, that connection and that following? And I think that goes back to, you know, making your voice heard as, as often as you can. And if that means online, then that means online. But if there's another way to do it, you know, by hosting community events outside of yoga studios, which I try to do now as well, um, to, you know, draw on different demographics who might not try yoga as regularly, mm-hmm. you know, then I'm going to do that too. Um, so yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword really. Yeah. Yoga is a double-edged sword. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Where you have the relaxation and then you have like that, you know, the physical work. Yeah. So it's true that it would only reflect back in the market. Yeah. Of it, I think as well. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> and you, so you started in two thousand fourteen mm-hmm. yoga, and that was around the time I was um, I started teaching down here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the market was a little different because there weren't there wasn't a rule of teacher trainings at the time. Um, I think that I came in. I came in at a pretty good time where there were some opportunities, um, not a lot because I didn't have the experience yet, which is frustrating as a new yoga teacher where you want to get the experience, but it's just, where do you get that experience when there's mm-hmm. tons of teachers that have been having 10 years of experience teaching classes? Yes. Was, when you coming out of your teacher training now with other teachers, was it overwhelming for you in that, in, in that market to come into? Incredibly. I was riddled with fear. Um, I didn't know, because as a new as a new yoga teacher, it's like, I didn't even know who I was or what, what my mission was or, you know, what I was offering. And I still, I mean, it's, it's all fluid, right? It's always constantly going to change as I change as a human being and grow. Um, but I felt this like incredible urge that I had to like make connections at every yoga studio around around town and take all these classes so that I could introduce myself to the owners and schedule an audition and, you know, do all these things and I just became so anxious over it and as I did see other yoga teacher training graduates doing that I got really down on myself you know for not feeling like I I okay you got to step up your game and you're not trying enough and you got to make a bigger effort and so you know what I did was I sat back and I said forget all of that like what brought you to yoga in the first place, you know, and that's where I started. Um, and my first kind of gig was this runner's yoga. I, you know, um, found yoga by running past a yoga studio and, um, in, in my running training, when I was doing like the marathons and stuff, yoga was such a supplement to that physical activity, you know? So, um, that's where I started and it wasn't at a fancy yoga studio, you know, and it was donation based. It still is to this day. And I made a Facebook events and I said, Hey, like I know some people in the running community. How about if we meet up at a park and we run for this or this amount and then we meet back and I like lead you in some yoga and people loved it. My very first one, I had like 36 people come out to um, down at White Point Gardens in Battery Park downtown. Um, And so that's where I started. And that was just me having to not compare myself to other people. That's where I had to stop is 
I'm my own person and I'm my own teacher and this is my own journey. And it, my, my journey is not going to look like everyone else's. And so I just had to focus on what felt true to my heart and what brought me joy and um, what helped me find my voice as a teacher. So that's where I started. And then, you know, things just started popping up. There was a small studio downtown that was looking for a teacher. Um, and I still teach there to, to this day um, called Salt Spawn Yoga. And um, that it's such a great studio because it's right in the Wagner Terrace neighborhood. And so it's a lot of just neighborhood people that walk over or ride their bikes over and a lot of regulars. And, you know, it fits maybe tops 15 mats tops and that is crammed but it allowed me to find my voice you know I didn't feel the pressure of being at one of the top-notch studios and like having to perform at best at all times it was just my experience that I felt more comfortable at a smaller place to kind of like mess up make the mistakes fumble over my words forget what I did on the right side and like laugh about it and then pull it to the left side, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I don't know if I believe in like top notch studios. Yeah. Right? <laughs> There's definitely like this, um, these newer boutique, mm-hmm. um, that's a good way to put it mm-hmm. that are like popping up in like these like high end regenification areas, mm-hmm. um, all around the country mm-hmm. where there, you know, yoga can now be like $30, $40 a class like mm-hmm. for drop in. But, um, I don't know. I think all yoga can be the same, right? So, like you said, for the salt salt yoga spa, right? Salt spa and yoga, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, that's right on King Street. Mm-hmm. It's like in an awesome area, sort of in a more residential. It's like yeah. in a house, right? Yeah, it is in a house. Yeah, but the classes there, what's special is they're much more affordable compared to some of the other. Exactly, right? exactly. And I'm glad, glad that you mentioned that because I think um, by like the terminology of top-notch, I think that's kind of more the route I was going. It's like where people there's maybe a certain presumption because it's so expensive to go there or something like that where, you know, yoga is yoga and it's yoga everywhere. And, um, what I offer at one studio is the same thing I offer at a different studio. Um, and yeah, salt spa has such great deals because it's like all about the locals. So your first class is free and then it's just $7 drop-ins, you know, you can buy a 10 class pack for 50 bucks. So it's super affordable. And, um, Again, it's all about that, like, making yoga accessible to everyone. Right. You know, people who don't have the $30 to drop in and, you know, things like that. So I love that about that place. And you said it's about 15 um, in a class, so it's a little bit more intimate. Yeah. I mean, and there's... not packed classes. Yeah. And there's days I have two people, three people, you know, and I, I bring the same message and I, you know, bring the same, you know, asana practice I would that I, for, for yoga studio packed of 40 people, you know, Um, and it's just, it's a really neat place full of good energy. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that too, I'm going to always do my best job, whether Mm -hmm. it's one student in a class, which that has happened a bunch of times before, (laughs) or, you know, 20 to 30 people, I'm still going to do my, my, my work. Yeah, exactly. So I agree. Yeah. Um, so your year of looking back, um, teaching yoga, you brought up the run yoga, which is your niche and that was one of the um advices that you gave to teachers to newer teachers specifically was to find your niche Mm -hmm. um do you 
I, I agree and disagree with that one. Yeah. It's been harder for me to find a niche. Mm -hmm. But um, how has that worked for you with the, the running and yoga? I mean, it sounds great. Yeah, it's good. And I'm still continuing it. I'm actually going to... So it's it's been downtown that I've hosted it. I started it last spring. And we... Uh, I took a hiatus just because it gets dark so early and it was really cold. Um, of course, we had a snow. So... Um, we just kicked it back off this, this season, but I'm carrying it into Mount Pleasant this time. So I'll be hosting now in downtown and Mount Pleasant. And it's been really, really awesome. Again, it's like making yoga available to people who might not otherwise come to a class because we're doing it outside in a park, you know, and um, it's donation-based. So people can come and try it out and, you know, just move their bodies and stretch and... Um, it's just been, yeah, it's been a fun kind of community way to bring people together. And that's another passion of mine is just getting people together to like move their bodies in a healthy way because you don't have to, there's other ways to have fun and connect with people outside of bars, right? And this is just like introducing another community event to like show a healthy way to connect with people around who maybe like enjoy doing the same things. So it's been really awesome. And, um, you know, as far as like, I guess finding a niche is more just like, um, you know, finding, finding your voice, your purpose, your, your why behind teaching, you know? And at the end of the day, I think, you know, we all, we're all humans and we all have similarities as, as to why we practice yoga, why we teach. And, you know, it's, I think for me, three parts, physical, mental, and spiritual. Um, but really getting to the why behind it and telling people why. And that's what sets people apart. That's a niche, in, in my opinion, you know. Um, and it might not look like runner's yoga. It might not look like my niche is balancing and inversions, you know. But maybe it is, and that's cool too. Um, but maybe it's just a message. I don't know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Or your intention behind it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Your why. I think. Uh, well, it's great your your niche that you have because it's such a cool experience that mm -hmm. you're providing for people in these classes. Mm -hmm. So when I ran into that day, the setting for this is um in such a awesome area of downtown too. Mm -hmm. Pretty iconic park where is it? What's the name of that park? White Point Gardens. White Point Gardens. Yep. Yeah, so it's like in that rainbow row area. Yes. Um, where you get to just like run around an awesome area of downtown and go check out that class. Yeah, yeah. It's been really great. And, you know, we get the cool breeze of the shade of the trees there and we're right on the water. And we get to run through historic downtown. So the views are amazing. And then we just meet back under the pavilion and, you know, real casual flow. And it's it's been awesome. And I've got a really solid group. And... Um, you know, everyone's friends, and it's just good to see familiar faces. Yeah. Yeah. I hope more people get into a running yoga combination because it, I think it works well. Yeah, it really um, does. I don't do it before all my classes, but when I was uh, regularly practicing at a studio where I grew up in uh, New York, in Yonkers, mm -hmm. there would be um, this huge hill uh, right before the studio going in, and like when I was going to take classes, I would run up that hill mm. and like get my heart rate pounding <laughs> yeah. and then enter into the hot room studio uh. and even though it was like a sprint 
there was something about that um, that high interval of just getting like your heart rate up a little bit, getting on a, like a nice balanced rhythm and mm-hmm. pace of moving one foot yeah. in front of the other, yeah. and then landing on that mat and just being like, okay, now I can feel that first breath. Yeah. Sometimes for runners, it's hard to it's hard to breathe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, and there's a like you said a similar emer- energy if you can look at it that way in running and yoga you focus on that breath and movement at the same time you know a breath with each step and you know you find a meditation and listening to that rhythm of your breath and the rhythm of your footwork as you hit pavement at least that's how running has been for me you know um and then you come to the mat and you continue it but in a different way you know it's like instead of like this high interval like push like strenuous like you know, uphill battle or, you know, making a certain time or, you know, your heart rate's pumping. It's, you know, this relaxing breath and movement together and where you can just kind of melt and let your body just, mm. you know, do the work. It's nice. Yeah. It's a good combination. Yeah. As you said in the class too, you can hear somebody else's breath Yes. as well. Yeah. It can be so comforting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you also mentioned finding your inner voice. Mm-hmm. Um, as a teacher, is that a hard thing when you're a new yoga teacher? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's vulnerable, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I um, I think it goes back to, like, originally feeling just like I was comparing myself to others. And I wanted everything that came out of my mouth to be like this, oh, you know, like this like mic drop, you know, when I offered a class and like drop knowledge or drop some yogi wisdom on people, but it's not, it's not real life. It's not always going to be like that. And so it took me a while to just be comfortable with just showing up as I was for that day, just as I would as a student, you know, walking into the room and showing up as I am and offering students what I have for that day and that time. And, you know, the way that I teach, I do share a piece of me during my class. You know, sometimes I'll start the class with um, some breath and kind of meditational thought and guiding people's intention for the next hour on their mat. And I'll offer a piece of just like what I'm going through in life and asking them to find how they can relate to it. You know, it might not be the exact same to what I'm experiencing, but we're all humans and like we can normally find some sort of relation to what other people are going through. So, um, yeah, finding my inner voice has just been like coming into authentic self, trying not to be someone that I'm not trying not to force, um, force some revelation on people, you know, just showing up as I am and speaking my truth. (laughs) Can you give us an example of, yeah, one of your, one of your class themes or what you're going through maybe right now and how you link that back into the yoga practice? Absolutely. Um, So I'm in a transitional point in my life where um, I'm changing jobs, which is so scary. You know, it comes back to that, that fear-based living of wondering if I'm making the right decision, if I'm making the wrong decision, are my finances going to be okay? Uh, what if I hate this new job? What if I love it? Um, 
you know, there's all these questions of what ifs and how can I and should I, would I, could I. Um, and so that's been what's been a, a huge presence in my mind and in my energy. And I taught last night based on fear and change. You know, what are the things when we're fearful in our lives that shows we hold these things in our bodies, right? When I'm scared, I immediately tense up, right? I hold my shoulders, shoulders. as earrings. My shoulders become earrings, right? And I tense up in my hips and my core and everything because it's a defense mechanism. Boom, my wall goes up and I'm scared, you know? And where can I become softer? Where can I let that fear and that energy go in knowing that whatever step that I take, whatever change is occurring in my life, that I'm going to be taken care of. Even if it's the wrong choice, there's no wrong choice. Even if the choice turns out to not be what I expected, I can learn from it, right? There's, that's where that growth comes, you know? Um, and so I share in my class that like, that's my direct situation is that like this job thing, but like maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe you're on the verge of ending something and it's scary to think of life without that. It's the same thing. It's just maybe not a job, you know? So what does life look like with or without it? Maybe it's, you know, um, you know, it could be anything. And so asking people to, um, find in their lives, in their body, in their hearts, in their spirits, that relation, and then asking them where they can become softer and let go and trust that the universe has them, you know, so. Yeah. So that's what's going on in your life now. That's change. what's going on. Lots of change. Yeah. yeah. And how change is like ever so constant in yoga. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's an, another great example. Like, can... Can you adapt to change as we move through this physical practice on the mat, right? You're, we're an upward facing dog. You're automatically expecting to go to down dog. What if I call something different? How do you react? What comes up for you? Are you frustrated because I called something different and it interrupted your flow, mm -hmm. you know, and where can you come to peace and excitement knowing that like we're trying something different? You know, things like that. So it's like on and off the mat practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great place for teachers to start when they want to find that voice coming out and they want to have like a good base theme class. Mm -hmm. um, I know my first year of teaching was all finding my voice. I think I'm still finding my voice now. Always. Still teaching, Constant. Yes. Especially with this podcast, um, finding like that voice of just um, letting, communicating with others, you know. But that's a great place to start with your personal experience, right? Like, we, we don't want to just drop that mic with some knowledge right away with, like, a quote or something that we're truly not resonated mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes I will, you know, read a quote, but it I make sure that it is something that resonated within me. You know, and I'm like, God, guys, I really want to share this with you today. I read it and, like, listen up. Because this is amazing. Right. It's more than just words. Yeah, exactly. It's not just reading some roomy poem. But it could be if yeah. it, like, really is speaking to me at that time in my life, you know? Yeah. So. Well, you great. You did a really great 
posts for like I said that first year of breaking down everything. Yeah. Thank I you. Everybody to like check that out teaching. Um, you like making lists too, yes. which I love doing. I think it's just so, something natural that I've always done as well, right? Mm-hmm. When we're in school, like this is the homework that I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an, that was one thing that I um, thought we shared in common. The running and yoga was another thing. Um, on your short bio, like dogs, on you have a do- two dogs, two dogs, and yes. the beach, which yes. is like one of my favorite two things as well. Um, and an artist, I studied uh, new media in college and did graphic design. But on your site, um, you said you um, work on different mediums. Do you do any art? Um, yeah, I mean, I dabble. Okay. <laughs> I like to think myself of um, as a creative mind. I have an aunt who is an abstract painter and so I got into abstract painting a lot um so I used to do that but I also um did a lot of graphic design with the advertising degree that I had sought out in college so I dabbled in that for a little bit um but for me like just art comes in any form and um painting is still the thing that I try and do and writing and anything to like interior design it's like another passion of mine so yeah yeah Constantly maneuvering things in the home and switching it up and I don't know. And are you still doing that um, work now? Are you still doing graphic design for you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I definitely enjoy it when I get the opportunity to like work on my own website and I use, you know, some, pro- some programs to design my own flyers or posters or, you know, things like that for like my upcoming retreat. I got to use a lot of those design programs to kind of get that going. Um, so that was really fun. But um, as far as like it being like a constant presence in my life, it's not as much, but right. the design aspect. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're doing a ton of other stuff too. Yes. Yes. So like making lists, yes. um, what, uh, what do your lists look like and what are some of the things that are like on it? Are they to do? That kind of stuff? I have so many different lists. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have lists within lists? Lists for lists. Yeah. Um, You know, and sometimes, so I'll make to-do lists, you know, like that's a very like everyday sort of thing I do. Um, And sometimes I'll go back. This is really embarrassing, but so true. I'll go back and like add things on my list that I already did just so I can cross it off. So I'm like, oh, I did that today. Let me add that to the list just so I can, like, there's something about, like, putting that pencil through it or that, like, yellow highlighter. It's, like, this sense of accomplishment for me and, like, organization that somehow, like, helps me get through life. It's really strange. Um, so even though this can be on just pen and paper, yeah, um, this is something relative to just, like, social media and how that, how that, I think, works. Whereas you, when you get likes, when you get a comment, when you get something, an email or whatever... Um, there's something that goes on. I think it's like dopamine for your, for your mind or right. Yeah. There's like a, something that happens there. So when you're crossing out that thing that's on your to-do list saying that you accomplished that, there is some dopamine that's going on. Um, because you said like, you know, I, I did this. Yes. So I know what you mean where I was just like, you know, you tackle something, you want to see your accomplishment. You want to see it checked off or crossed out. Yes, absolutely. It's good to know that I'm not like super crazy I'm not the only one that maybe does that but yeah it's like that it's um it's 
kind of one of those, you know, it's like that natural high that like yoga gives you. It's like that sense of self-esteem and accomplishment and you want to like do the next thing, you know, okay, check next. And, um, so I do make lists like that. I also make bigger, less concrete lists. So I have, I have a bucket list, you know, um, of just these bigger ideas, um, that I want to experience in this life before, you know, I leave this body. And so I'm slowly working on checking those things off. So my lists come in lots of different forms. <laughs> mm, literally. Are you mostly working on paper too, or some of your lists digital? Some of the lists are digital. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, I'll make lists as quickly on notes on my phone sometimes, you some know, Apple notes. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Yep. I'll do that. And, um, um, but yeah, I still love to take to pen, a pen to paper, pencil to paper. There's something about that, just, um, that old, old school way of doing it that I don't know. I'm drawn to. Yeah. It's like, I like sending postcards. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You it's know? something that you don't want to lose. My, it's like a piece of mindfulness for me, I think. Yeah. We Taking shouldn't lose time. that. Yeah. So my lists look somewhat traditional sometimes where I literally just have one sheet to do and that might just be for the day. Mm -hmm. um, something I've got into recently was for the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll write down what I want to do that day, but I'm not restricted to it for that day. It might just be like my to-do list for the week. So something, you know, I can tackle that I said I want to do Thursday. I'm of course still going to try to get that done maybe today if I had to, um, what are your like to-do lists yeah. kind of look like? How do you break it down? Um, so I do try and do like some of that bullet journaling is kind of what it sounds like. My sister gave mm. me a bullet journal for Christmas and my birthday. Yeah, and those look awesome. They're really neat because you can get creative with them, right? And it comes to like that artic artistic kind of side where I'll color code everything. I'm big on colors. And that helps me with my memory portion of things. Like I associate, you know, the color yellow with you know, the to-dos, the color green is like the grocery to-dos, you know, the color blue is my physical activity to-dos, you know, things like that. So I will get into like the whole weekly sort of planning and, you know, there is flexibility there as well. But, you know, my, my to-do list looks everything from, um, down to, you know, taking the dogs to the park twice a week, you know, so those will be things on my to-do list. Um, to, hey, I really need to reach back out to the group of people who reached out to me about my retreat and just send them a follow-up email. Um, I need to try and get myself to three yoga classes this week. I need to, you know, so it's kind of fluid, but for the most part, it's just the different kind of barrels I, I pick and choose from in life that like make up the greater good. Right. You know? So it sounds like it's your professional, your personal, mm -hmm. um, you're holding yourself accountable. Exactly. As well, like all yeah. these things. When your life is um, so full, it's a good way for me to make sure I'm not letting anyone down, you know, and I'm keeping all the commitments that I've made. Um, like chairing, like this month, chairing meetings, you know, for these 12 step programs I'm involved in and things like that. So everything's kind of got that color code and I can see my list for the week and like better prepare myself mentally and physically to take on what I've lined up for myself, you know? 
um, because the last thing I want to do is drop any commitments. So it's a good way for me to just like maintain. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool being in this industry because I feel like we're both entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? There's, um, there's more than just teaching yoga now for a yoga teacher, right? Um, I don't think the ancient yogis had like emails and everything that they had to get done in order for them to teach the yoga classes, but that's kind of like where we're at, right? Mm-hmm. Where in order to do this, I have to do all this other stuff before and make it a list. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've got like this, like the smaller lists and then like the bigger picture lists, you know, um, that I'll eventually move to and make time to once the smaller list yeah. kind of goes down a little bit. So <laughs> like a bigger list goal is like start developing a workshop and workshop part two, you know, and I can kind of get to that and set time aside knowing that it's on this bigger picture goal list, you right. know. And you also work in that creativity. Mm-hmm. Your uh, bucket list. Yes. There's some things that are on that. That sounds cool. Yeah. I started this bucket list, um, I guess, when I was a teenager. Um, and some of it is very, you know, kind of laughable and trivial. But, you know, I, I'm i going to stick it out and, like, keep all those things on there because at one point in my life they weren't important. But... Um, is it the original list? Yes. Do, do, and wow, I keep adding so cool. to it. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, before my mom passed away, uh, one of the last things she gave me was this sketchbook because I was into drawing at the time. And um, so it's in this sketchbook. And so I still have it and I add to this book as I go. And that list is just like continues on through the years. And so skydiving I've done twice now. Um, that was a big one on the list. That was one thing that my mom had said she was going to take us to do and then never got the opportunity to. Um, so I've done that twice now. I want to, um, scuba dive in the Great Barrier. I want to fall in love. Um, I want to sing on stage in front of a bunch of people. I want to squash grapes with my feet in Italy. Um, I want to help in a third world country. I want to, um... You know, it's it's things like that. I'm trying to think of, of some other things, but that kind of gives you an idea. Like some of them are um, travel related. Some of them are um, just of the heart. You know, things like that. So, I love I love that. Yeah, and I love to do lists too because that's yours. Yeah, and that can be totally different. Like yeah. somebody else's to do list or well, bucket list is not jumping out of a plane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? totally. But oh, hot air balloon. That's my big one. I have to get in a hot air balloon. That would be cool. And my friend's somewhere told, in the state in South Carolina. Yeah, too. I think there's like a festival out west. But a friend of mine who actually just sent me a postcard from Prague, um, going back to the postcard thing, I love to send them, I love to get them. So if you're somewhere, send me a postcard. <laughs> um, but she said, I have to get in a hot air balloon over in Turkey, like Istanbul. And she said, it's like just. That's where it's at. So adding to that bucket list of just being in a hot air balloon, now it's got to be in Turkey. Yeah. So would you go back to the list and physically put that in? Yeah. Go yeah. back to it? Absolutely. Cool. Probably in like a smaller typography next to it, maybe in a different color. That's the artist in you. Yes. <laughs> and are you regularly updating this list? Yes. Go back to regularly. it? Regularly. Mm-hmm. Super Absolutely. Cool. 
Well, so. I hope your recent trip was maybe on it. And... It was. Um, and I put dates next to it when I accomplished these things. Right. Oh, and that's another thing for your like to-do list, too, yeah. after you cross that off. Yeah. Like, date when you accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mini celebration. Exactly. So, um, well, and one of the big things that's, like, been added to, like, this life goal bucket list thing now is... Um, Wherever I travel and go in life, I take my mom and my grandma's ashes with me because they didn't really get to travel and see the world. So um, I took them. There's some ashes at the Taj Mahal in India. I threw some ashes off this mountaintop in Lantau Island in Hong Kong, like off this mountainside. Um, they're in some rivers in Austria and Germany. And just this... Um, past trip in Colombia, I, in Minka, we hiked to these waterfalls and I stood under this like waterfall and like let some ashes go. So like that's become like this bucket list of, you know, them going wherever I go and like making sure that they get to see everything that I see. So that's been a really cool, just like spiritual experience for me as well. Wow. So yeah. Spiritually you're at that place you're traveling Yeah. and all of these trips were the past year. Yes. So we we're, were talking before the podcast to you about like India and about all the different places. Um, but when did you first start this year going on these big adventures? So my first time out of the United States was um, February 2017. So just over a year ago. And I got dropped in New Delhi, India. My first experience out of the United States, which is a huge, huge culture shock. Um, I, uh, and not only when you get dropped off at the airport in New Delhi, um, for those of people that have never like gotten to go travel to India yet, um, or anything like that, just the airport itself is a very intense, um, place just filled, overwhelmed with people, right? Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that because that's probably the most vivid, one of the most vivid memories I have of India is, initially walking out the doors of the airport and when you're you first go outside to where um people can come meet their family you know that's getting off planes or whatever there was this big wire gate you know and there was a crowd of people on the other side and just the fog and the dust was so thick and I remember having to like squint my eyes and everyone's very loud you know, there's not like this sense of personal bubbles there. So you're like, everyone is very close in proximity to you. And everyone's very loud and arms are flailing in the air of excitement of seeing family members. And it's everything's in a different language. And as I walked out, I was just overwhelmed with, you know, visual stimulation. But it was the first time, honestly that I saw women in full-on burkas. And it was, um, I don't know, it was just, um, it was a sight that I'll never forget. To just see that and just see their eyes and make eye contact and um, just to feel, I mean, to truly be on the other side of the world was, um, I just feel like I'll never forget their eyes. You know, it was really, it was really neat. It's one of the most vivid memories I have there. Yeah. It was crazy. That's interesting. Where you've come from, too, that's a cultural shock. Mm-hmm. So you never saw that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, which maybe sounds a little like naive, but I just, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it. And, um, yeah, so that was definitely, um, I didn't know how to process that trip and the writer and me came out during that trip. And I was writing probably about 15 to 20 pages a day on just everything I saw, everything I felt, um, and the colors and the smells and the food and the people and, um, that was the only way I knew how to process it because parts of it were, I mean, it was very sad my heart was very sad for what I was seeing. Um, and so that was just how I processed it. A lot of like stimulations, mm -hmm. things to smell. Yeah. Was it, uh, overwhelming? Like what was that first day, that first night like? I, um, I actually got what they called the deli belly. So, um, I figured since we were staying in a nice hotel that it was okay to brush my teeth with the tap water and it was not okay. And I got very, very physically ill. So my first day there was about 28 hours of retching illness. I couldn't leave the hotel room and just fully drenched sweats and physical illness. And I was scared I was going to end up in a hospital in India, which thank goodness I didn't. Um, but you know, we, I was over there to, for business, you know, and meeting vendors that I worked with in, um, the kind of home design world that I worked in. And so they took really good care of us and, you know, there was never a shortage of food. You know, that's the thing in their culture is just like more food and more food and more food. And, um, it was, I always felt welcome. I always felt, um, just, it was, it was a full experience. So the food was, I remember telling, oh, that was in China. I'm skipping ahead, mm. but, um, it's okay. um, yeah, the food was absolutely delicious. But after getting physically sick that first day, there was a part of me that, like, that did not want to smell curry for a very long time. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, did you get sick from um, the curry or was it brushing your no, teeth? No, it was brushing that? my teeth, yeah. but it was just, I think my... From that little drop of water that yeah, you put in. Yeah, I think it yeah. was just like the smells of anything was just like not resonating with my body. Like it was just so much that... Um, and when after you eat food and then you get sick, even if it's not from the food, you don't want to smell or taste that food, you know. So, um, but I got through it and we were there for um, 10 days. So, um, we traveled between like Delhi and this other town, Muradabad. And um, we traveled, it was about a five hour drive and we had to go through um, a territory that was um, just like single, single lane roads. And it was a, you know, predominantly Muslim community. And so our driver would not on a five hour trip, I could, he wouldn't stop for me to use the restroom. A, there's nowhere to use the restroom, but even if so, he was saying it was unsafe to get off this road in these Muslim communities because they don't like to see progression and people coming to visit their communities in small areas. But, um, you know, th on that long drive, I just remember just staring out the window and um, passing these fields and fields and fields of sugarcane. And it was like tall sugarcane. And then the height would drop and it was like all mustard seed fields. So it was like all this bright yellow. And then I remember seeing a bright purple sari. 
in the middle of this mustard seed field and she was carrying a basket on her head. And like that's probably the second most vivid memory I have. It's just like that simplistic image of this woman carrying things on her head in this, in this field of mustard seed. And I just felt so far away from home, but in, in a great way, you know, and it was so, again, made everything about my life seem so small to see culture like that. It was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Being in that moment too. Yeah. that experience. Yeah. And what you were going through before that, like where everything was very much like self centered mm-hmm. in a dark space. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It, it's hard in those moments, you know, in the times I have gotten to travel, there's been nothing but a heart full of gratitude because even in my dark place, I was a list maker. And one of the main things I used to do was sit there as I was highly intoxicated and make lists of all the places I wanted to go in the world and all the things I wanted to say and all the people I wanted to meet and experience. And then I would grow really angry and I would end up like ripping up these lists because how could a girl like me ever have a life like that? And so today when I do get to experience those things, like my heart is so full, I feel like it could explode because Mm. like I've shown up for life and I've taken the action steps I've needed to actually make it a reality. And like, I'm just so full of gratitude that I get to see things like that today and experience seeing this woman in a mustard field in her sari or standing under a waterfall in Colombia and letting out like a huge jungle scream. And, you know, these are like things that I never thought I would get to do. So. And they're powerful moments. Powerful moments. Yeah. It's cool that you get to check them off. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very physical too. Put physical tool. There. Cross it off. Yeah. <laughs> Done. So speaking of um, while traveling, getting to see the world, and our talk of yoga and everything, you got a pretty fun event coming up this November. Yes. Um, what is the date for it? November? So it's November 1st through the 5th. Okay. And it is in Sedona. Sedona, Arizona. Arizona. Super cool. And it's part of... Um, the Y12, is it 12? It's Y12SR. 12 12. It's actually, it's not, um, um, but I've kind of done a spinoff on it. Okay. So I'm not branding it Y12SR, but the the work that I'll be doing with attendees there is, is a spinoff of some 12-step work that I've done. Um, so I won't, it's not a requirement for people who would like to attend the retreat to be a part of any 12-step program or be affiliated with it at, at all. These are tools and journal prompts that, again, like the yamas and the niyamas, are very apl- applicable to anyone, right. you know, as a human being. Um, so the name of the retreat, I, um, I titled it Accept and Release. So through this journal work, what we'll be looking at are these self-behaviors, right, that um, we might not readily be aware of, but once we start taking that to paper, um, we start to see some of these recurring themes, these recurring ways that we treat ourselves and treat other people, Um, and so we are going to work through accepting these, but then also releasing them so that we can take the opposite action 
or the opposite behavior and work towards becoming a better version of ourselves. Um, so for example, um, kind of how I had mentioned, like, you know, when, when fears come up or change comes up or resentments come up in life, we tend to hold on to them in our physical body as well as our mental and spiritual bodies as well. Um, so listing that thing out on a piece of paper, like this person did this to me and like, this is how it made me feel. This is how they acted in the exact situation. And this was the result of this situation. Okay. Well, how did I act? I get so used to, I don't know about you, but I get so used to placing blame on others, you know, like, well, you know, my dad did this and he treated me this way. Okay. Well, what was my part in it? How could I have maybe shown up differently um, and helped that situation better? A lot of the time, just to give you like a, a direct situation, a lot of the time, like I'm very avoidant, so I don't like confrontation. However, if I would have had a conversation with someone maybe earlier in life, all this snowball effect of this resentment and this, this relationship turned bad could have been avoided if I would have addressed the situation sooner. So that's one of my behavioral patterns is being very avoidant. So looking at the situations where I am avoidant, seeing how, how often that actually shows up in my life, looking at that and saying like, okay, well, let me maybe take some actions in becoming a little bit more stand up for myself, you know, speak my voice a little bit more, not in a confrontational way, but just like make my feelings known so that these situations don't snowball in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be kind of like the bulk of what we, we work on in our journal work. Um, we'll be practicing yoga twice a day. Um, so 90 minutes in the morning, I'll try and do like a little bit more awakening, vigorous practice, you know, wake up those bodies. Um, and during the day, outside of the journal work, we'll be doing a lot of hiking in, um, in the Sedona Desert. Um, I've never been to Sedona, but it's known for its incredible vortex healing energies. So there's two different types of vortex centers and you can correct me if I'm wrong if you've been there and know a little bit more about it Um, but there's energy centers that are a little bit more known for kind of that uplifting healing um, like moving forward in life sort of energy and then there's centers that are a little bit more like grounding reflectional like letting go of the past Um, So we'll be hiking through some of these areas, doing yoga out in these areas. Um, We have a chef who will be there cooking us organic food. And we'll do um, some group work in the evening, maybe a little bit more of like a yin restorative practice at night. And um, our grand finale of this retreat will be finding that one major like big kahuna behavioral pattern that like really shows up on paper for us so for the sake of like the example I gave avoidance you know I am going to paint that word on a rock a rock that I found on my very first hike in Sedona and on our last day we're gonna hike out to um, the Devil's kind of arch, which is a big, uh, well-known space there in Sedona. And we're going to take our rocks and we're just going to like chuck them, <laughs> chuck them off these canyons into this um, vortex energy and just release. 
So Accept and Release is the name of this game. Wow. Yeah. That sounds awesome. It's going to be great. I'm so excited for it. Um, it's a smaller retreat, so space is limited. And there's a few spots left, so I'm excited for it. And where can people sign up for that? So it is hosted at a place called Cerro Verde Retreats, um, which is C-E-R-R-O, Verde, the color green in Spanish, and then retreats.com. Um, so it is listed there on their website cool. and, um, you can email them and they offer payment plans. Um, but you can also reach out to me at Kate moon yoga, um, at gmail.com. And I've got like a whole informational packet that I can email with details about prices and what's included and all that good stuff. Cool. Yeah. You're excited to go out there. I am so excited cause I've never been. Yeah. I've never been. So what about yoga retreats? Um, is this your first one that you're doing or what how did you get started yeah this will be my first one um so what a gift they yeah. actually reached out to me on again there's that power of social media um they reached out to me on instagram and he just said hey i really i really like your message i like your energy would you be interested in hosting at one of our our venues so they have venue two venues one in sedona and one in costa rica and I kind of did one of those Instagram polls and people seem to be more drawn towards affordability um, rather than um, go big or go home. Let me spend all my all my savings on one trip. So that's why I chose Sedona. But this will be my first retreat and they reached out to me. So I'm very, very grateful for that connection that I've made with them. And I hope to make it... Um, you know, I hope that it's really successful and that it's something that would be a jumping off point for me in this in this yoga journey. What I would like to do is kind of um, coin this um, this retreat, this workshop that I've created through this journal work, and kind of make that my my offering as I um, host retreats because it's work that can can continuously be done. You know, as we grow and change as humans, different things come up and we can always go back to the drawing board and look at our behaviors again and again and again and again. So I kind of hope to, you know, make that an offering that I continue to give people. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited for you. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. I think retreats, they're, um, they're powerful. Like when we practice yoga um, and we have to go to work or something after, like that's a great lifestyle to have, but that's our day to day. But just the fact of getting out of your element, being able to travel, and you're on a regular yoga practice, right? Mm -hmm. Meditation too, will you mm -hmm. be doing? Yes. Cool. Yeah, we'll do some guided meditation. And um, yeah, I think there is something to be said about being able to fully let go. You know, not have to worry about getting to work or what's going to happen when you get home you know, do you have to make dinner for the kids or, you know, let the dogs out or anything like that to completely detach from your everyday life. Be in a place, you know, of um, beautiful, like, nature connections where you can, like, come into contact with yourself and whatever kind of higher power spiritual picture might be in your life, you know, and really connect on those different planes and not have to worry about the everyday life. I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity for people to heal and grow and really let go. So sure. I'm excited to offer it. Super cool. Yeah. All right, Kate. Yeah. I have a couple of quick questions for you. Okay. Um, as we wrap this up, but um, 
you're one for a lot of um well your your posts and everything so many awesome words um that describe your journey and um not just that but what you share with people as well if you had a billboard right and you only had a certain amount of space where you can fit you know your message or words for everybody to see um what would you put on that billboard gosh um you know as as um popular as these words are i think what describes me the best and what i the message i want others to hear is to just be the change right change starts within i can't i can't change other people but i can certainly change myself in the way that i show up for who i am and for other people who i care about in life so just be the change that you want to see in other people and lead by that example. So that's what I would put. Just be the change. Mm -hmm. That would definitely fit on a billboard. Yes, uh, yes. Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Uh, Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Right? So when we look out in the world and we just want to see all that, we need to be that change first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, all starts within. Yeah. It's yeah. important for the next generations to see. It certainly well, is. Um, do you have any... Well, I want to know your favorite yoga book that you have, but if also you have maybe um, a favorite non-yoga book that you'd like to share with people. Nice. Um, favorite yoga book. Um, I am rereading Patanjali's Yoga Sutras right now, um, which is always such a good read. Um, and then I'm also reading um, one of Baron Baptiste's book, um, which is... Um, Gosh, and I feel so embarrassed. I might say it wrong, but it, the being a power um, is his first book, so I'm rereading that, which is really, really good. Um, so, but I think if you want a good yoga read, as in as in depth as it might be, um, reading those yoga sutras, I think, is such a good kickoff for anyone because it brings it more into that spiritual element of like the why behind things and those yamas and those niyamas. Um, apart from the physical practice. As far as a non-yoga book, what I'm reading right now is um, Let My People Go Surfing, which is written by the owner and founder of the company Patagonia. It's been a really, really good read, and it's just about his, his journey as an entrepreneur, the mistakes that he's made, um, the paths that he's gone down, and really just trying to remain true to the message he wants to give the world through his business. Um, so that's been really enlightening for me to read about his path and how successful he is as a business person, but also to read just like how it got started. Wow. So it's been really good. That's cool. All yeah. true. All, all true story. Stuff. Yeah. Really, really neat. And he started off like making picks cause he's a mountain climber. So making those picks and then like it spun into this clothing brand, but it's wild. Yeah. Good read. Pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for coming on on the podcast as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. This was really good to just like talk and um, I feel really honored that you asked me to be here. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah. So Kate Moon Yoga on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'll link all this up so you can follow there. Um, same as Facebook? Yep. Well. There's a Kate Moon, Kate Moon Yoga, Yoga Facebook page. And of course, please check out katemoonyoga.com uh, yes. for all your awesome um, blog posts, yes. your schedule, 
um, mm-hmm. for all your yoga classes around mm-hmm. Charleston. And I'm sure you have information um, about your retreat as well in November. Yep, that's on. That well. Also, there is that is on the website as well, katemoonyoga.com. There's a page dedicated to that retreat that links up to the website where you can register and emails and all that good stuff. So, yep. Awesome. This yeah. is great, Kate. Thanks so Thank much, you. Joe. I appreciate it. That was my talk with Kate Moon. You can check out more of her information at katemoonyoga.com and her retreat November 1st through the 5th in Sedona. If you have one more minute and you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and also subscribe. Leave a review on iTunes as this helps so much with sharing it around the online community. I'm very grateful to have you here today listening. That means so much. Feel free to reach out to me on any social media at Yoga with Joe. And until next time, I will catch you all later. Namaste. Namaste.